This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. One of the most important things that you can do is listen to jazz music. And that seems so simple, but literally you are practicing when you listen to jazz music. You will become a better jazz musician simply by putting on your headphones or putting them on the speakers and just listening to how this music actually sounds. So today I'm going to talk about 25 jazz albums that every jazz musician absolutely needs to know, absolutely needs to listen to. So pay attention here and let's do this thing. What's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards. I am a jazz coach. I'm the director here at Learn Jazz Standards, and we help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz while shortening the learning curve no matter what instrument you play. So welcome to another episode of the podcast. Really excited to have you here today. Like I mentioned in the intro, listening to jazz music is super, super important. Like, really, you couldn't find a more important activity if your goal was to improve as a jazz musician, play the jazz solos of your dreams, become a great comper, play great bass lines, you fill in the blank. Listening to jazz is a cornerstone essential of becoming a great jazz musician. And I like to go even as far to say as it is really just as good of practice sometimes as simply sitting down with your instrument and working on some kind of jazz improvisation skill. It's really important to do. I also think it's really important for jazz musicians to be aware of a scope of different kinds of music. Uh, The history of the music, of course, but different approaches and different artists and how they looked at the music, how they played certain things, not only because it's good to be aware of the history of the music, but also because there are certain styles and certain ways of playing that will resonate with you more. A certain musician might get you super amped up and excited, might lead you to learning their solo, which will lead you to learning more jazz language, which will lead you to more naturally playing that kind of stuff into your actual solos. And it's sort of like a snowball effect kind of a thing. So of course, also at the same time, listening to jazz can be a lot of fun if you're a fan of jazz. So this is going to be great. So we're going to talk about 25 jazz albums and we're going to kind of go in chronological order roughly uh, meaning like earlier styles of, of jazz and then moving on to, I guess, what one would call more modern styles of jazz and everything in between. And we're, we're definitely going to be hitting up on a lot of really important historical albums here um, and a lot of them that will really transform your playing if you really dive deep into them. So, uh, by the way, I did come out with a shorter list of these uh, top 10 jazz albums that I recommend on my YouTube channel. I'll also leave that in the show notes uh, below, but pretty much most of those albums I'll be talking about in 
this particular episode as well. But of course, it's a podcast, so I get the opportunity to talk about a lot more of them, which is really cool. So let's talk about the first jazz album. So jazz album number one takes place in the era that's called early jazz. So early jazz is, uh, you could say like, you know, when recorded music is kind of coming out around this time, the early 1900s, and people are actually listening to records and all this stuff. This is actually happening, right? And so we're dealing with sort of the beginnings of jazz and of course the recorded evidence of jazz. And so it's important to understand this era of jazz and where it all came out of. And so if I were to recommend one album that would really encompass that and give you a good idea about the roots of jazz, I would recommend Louis Armstrong's Complete Hot Five and Hot Seven Sessions. Louis Armstrong's Complete Hot Five and Hot Seven Sessions. This album will really cover uh, some of the early instrumentation of jazz, so for example, the hot five, like there was no, um, drums and there was no guitar. There was banjo kind of playing this percussive role going on. Um, so there's this interesting instrumentation later on in the hot seven, you had a tuba actually playing the bass role. So the instrumentation is very different. And of course, this is an introduction into Louis Armstrong, who many of you know, is one of the most important jazz musicians that ever lived. He was really like the innovator. He was certainly not the first jazz musician to ever live, you know, but he was one of the people that really started putting things on the map and of course influenced so many other musicians. Like no one was playing quite like him around that time. And so a slew of other musicians following Louis Armstrong, you know, do they started copying him and playing like him? And so he's really like the innovator. He's really like, the person you obviously need to be aware of. And sure, definitely check out his later stuff and a range of his different, um, you know, library of albums. Like, of course, there's like the famous Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. That's a bonus album. It's not one I was going to actually mention, but that's a great one. Um, That's all good stuff. Him is uh, leading as the vocalist, but these Hot Five and Hot Seven is a great example of earlier jazz as well as, just Louis Armstrong as a trumpet player and his impact on the music. So that's a jazz album number one. All right, so jazz album number two, uh, this goes into more of what's called the swing era, okay? So the swing era is sort of like the 1930s, kind of a, a time period here, um, late, late 20s, 1930s really, and this is really the only time when jazz was popular music, essentially, right? Where like actually everybody, even around the world, was listening to this music. So the whole thing about the swing era, of course, the popularity of the big band, so large ensembles, right? Uh, as well as um, this idea of jazz and music being all about dancing, which is, of course, probably why it was popular music. Dancing, super, super uh, important because as we'll talk about in a second, jazz sort of departed from being a danceable music. So the album, there's a couple albums I recommend for the swing era. One of them would be, this one is actually not actually recorded in the swing era. So you'll have to forgive this. However, it's a really great example of a body of his work. And that would be Duke Ellington live at Newport. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this was 1956, 
when this was recorded. This is a live album. This is sort of like in the 1950s, Duke Ellington had kind of fallen out of popularity a bit. He was huge during the 30s, huge. But by the 50s, you know, jazz had gone a different direction. But this concert is known as being like the revitalization of Duke Ellington. Like, so it's a really great uh, live album. And of course, the reason I recommend this one is because on this album, there's a lot of his important tunes that he composed, um, or at least that his band made popular, like Take the A-Train, right? Like everybody knows that one. So a lot of those songs are on there. It's a great example of Duke Ellington and his genius. Um, Now, on this album, there's a little bit more of longer solos. For example, there's this one tune with um, his saxophone player, Paul Gonzalez. He takes this really long solo, and that's not actually very characteristic of the swing era, right? So that's where things are a little bit different. However... As far as just understanding, you know, his playing and his band, that's a great one to go to. All right. Album number three is also from the swing era. It's Count Basie's The Complete Decca Recordings. This is another compilation album, kind of like how the Hot Five and Hot Seven was. But compilation albums are great because they're kind of showing you a lot of the really important recordings over a period of time to get a really good idea of what they're about. And so Count Basie, another really important band leader, a pianist, um, obviously really important band, right? Big band that he had there. Um, Of course, there's notable uh, figures within instrumentation, like the great guitarist Freddie Green, who was like this more felt than heard sort of character who really popularized the style of the Freddie Green uh, strum style of guitar in, in in jazz. So all kinds of really important stuff. And so this complete Decca recordings, it spans the years 1937 to 1939. So really solidly swing era stuff here. Um, there's tunes like One O'Clock Jump on it and Lester Leaps In. Um, Lester That refers to Lester Young, right? Really important jazz saxophone player who played in Count Basie's band. So that would be another really important one to check out. Jazz album number four is another one from the swing era. And that is Benny Goodman's The Famous 1938 Carnegie Hall Jazz Concert. Okay. The Famous 1938 Carnegie Hall Jazz Concert, Benny Goodman. Obviously, this is a live recording, but Benny Goodman clarinet player, but band leader, really important band, the Benny Goodman uh, Orchestra, really important big band to be aware of um, and super influential. So just listening to this concert, you're going to hear all kinds of important, um, important songs. You're going to hear Lionel Hampton on the vibes. So Lionel Hampton, right? Really important vibraphone player, Gene Krupa on the drums, uh, many other important characters, but of course, just listening to his band is going to get you the understanding. So just to kind of recap here, we've covered four albums. The first one is early jazz. So that's the Louis Armstrong bit. The, The last three, the Duke Ellington, the Count Basie, and the Benny Goodman, those are the swing era bands. And of course, there's more swing era bands to listen to and be aware of, but these are going to really get you pretty far. Just listening to these 
And just even those albums will get you a really good idea of what was going on back then. And again, just to reemphasize that the swing era, this, this period mostly in the 1930s, that's really, really the most, the, the time in the history where jazz was actually popular music. Okay. So just something to be, um, something to be aware of, uh, there as we move forward. Okay, so now we move on to the next era of jazz, which is the bebop era, okay? So the bebop era is in the 1940s, essentially, is when, you know, the bebop era starts. And, of course, think about the historical context. We've got World War II going on. At this point in time, the music starts to change less from being about swing and dancing to more about being a virtuosic sort of music, one that features the soloist, one that draws more importance on the soloist and the musician themselves than the actual dancing and all of that kind of stuff. And people say this kind of came out of this whole idea of what's called cutting sessions. So the bands are out playing their gigs after hours, they're going and getting together to play essentially jam sessions where they're all trying to one-up each other, right? And with their improvisations, right? This is where they're allowed to really be let free, really let let to explore and, and all this stuff, right? So it's said that the whole idea kind of starts coming out of this whole thing. And of course, the pioneers of the bebop movement of this style of jazz is Charlie Parker mainly but also Dizzy Gillespie. So Charlie Parker, a saxophone player, and, and Dizzy Gillespie, the trumpet player. So both of these characters, incredibly important in jazz. And again, really when we think about, again, the second biggest innovator of jazz after Louis Armstrong, we most often think about Charlie Parker. Just huge big deal because he literally just sort of was the leader that changed this whole music to something completely different. And it still sort of remains that kind of virtuosic music that's not really about dancing. And of course, at this point, you know, jazz, especially with the advents of other styles of music starting to emerge, but the jazz starts to not become popular music anymore, which is totally fine. That's just the way the music went. So, Jazz album number five is the Quintet Jazz at Massey Hall by Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. So this was, actually this one was recorded in 1953, okay? Um, so not in the 40s, but 1953. And really it's, uh, it's a really great sort of spotlight on what bebop is, the style of bebop. It had Charlie Parker in it, Dizzy Gillespie, Bud Powell, the pianist, Charles Mingus on bass. Uh, we'll talk about him soon, and Max Roach on drums. So really important group, but it just had a lot of, of the iconic bebop tunes on it, right? Like Hot House, um, like Salt Peanuts. Like these are this is like quintessential what bebop is. So if you really want to understand what bebop is. Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, the quintet jazz at Massey Hall recorded. It was a, it's a live concert. The recording quality isn't a hundred percent the best, but it'll really give you a good idea of what bebop's all about. So check that one out. Of course, by the way, there are lots of compilation albums. I'm thinking about Yardbird Suite. That's a compilation album of Charlie Parker. So compilation albums are also really good ones to check out from this era with Charlie Parker because he recorded so much stuff that you're going to really get a big, um, you're going to get a lot more listening to a compilation album than just individual albums. But I wanted to just point out the quintet jazz at Massey Hall because to me, this one just really sticks out. 
Jazz album number six is Charlie Parker with Strings. Okay, Charlie Parker with Strings. This one is, is also in 1950, um, so it's not the 40s, but right on the cusp there, so 1950s. Charlie Parker with Strings. Um, I mentioned this one because it's just a really iconic album. Basically, it's Charlie Parker um, who is playing with an orchestra, um, and he's playing a lot of his tunes, but he's also playing classic jazz standards, like Just Friends. I would say probably one of the most iconic recordings is his recording of Just Friends. So check out that album, Charlie Parker with the Strings, and listen to it. And by the way, I should have mentioned as well that the album, the recordings are mostly from the 1940s, but it was released in 1950. So it's a really iconic album, really great one to listen to. Um, so I have to mention this one. This is definitely one to check out. Charlie Parker with Strings from 19. 19- 50. Okay, let's start going on to the next era of jazz, and that's what I would call post-bop. Okay, post-bop. So post-bop um, means, obviously, styles that started emerging after bebop. And of course, were they influenced by bebop? Yes, that's why it's called post-bop. And there are really two main styles that emerged Um, as far as directly after bebop, which I would consider the 1950s really is when these styles emerge, which is hard bop and cool jazz. Okay, so let's talk about hard bop first. So hard bop is essentially a derivative of bebop, really focused on blues. Um, Some might call it a little bit more gritty, um, a little bit more bluesy, a little bit all of those things, really predominantly kind of was coming out of the East Coast of the United States versus cool jazz, which came out of the West Coast. So let's talk about album number seven. Album number seven is Saxophone Colossus by Sonny Rollins. This is from 1956. Um, it's one of the most definitive recordings in the hard bop style. Of course, one of the most popular recordings on this album is St. Thomas, right? Really iconic. Sonny Rollins, super important saxophone player you need to be aware of. So Saxophone Colossus, that's number seven. Okay, album number eight is Blue Train by John Coltrane. Um, This is one of the most important John Coltrane albums as a leader, uh, released on Blue Note. It really is one of those albums that, like the trial track, Blue Train, super, super iconic, right? It's one of those albums that defines who John Coltrane is, or at least one of the characters that John Coltrane plays of himself. We'll talk about more of those in a second. But Blue Train is one of those quintessential John Coltrane albums, okay? So Blue Train, jazz album number eight. All right, jazz album number nine is Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, Monin. So when I think of hard bop, I really do think of Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Art Blakey's a drummer. His Jazz Messengers is a band. And his his Jazz Messengers had many different iterations over the years, uh, featuring a lot of really important jazz musicians who went on to, to become their own in their own right, important like Wayne Shorter, for example. But this particular iteration with Lee Morgan and Benny Golson, like this is like a really important 
sort of era of the band. The title track, Monin, is super iconic. So really, if you want to listen to uh, a great example of hard bop, this is a really good one. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, Monin. But also, if you really want to understand Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers really well, this would kind of be the album. Like Literally, the solos are so iconic on some of these, especially on the title track, Monin, that jazz musicians to this day will still quote parts of that solo in their solos. So it's a really, really, really important album. So definitely check this one out. Jazz album number 10. This is Sunny Side Up by Dizzy Gillespie. Okay, Sunny Side Up. Um, now the band, it's called Sunny Side Up because it features the saxophonist Sonny Rollins and Sonny Stitt. Um, so Sonny Rollins, obviously we already talked about him. He had saxophone colossus. Sonny Stitt is another really important post-bop, hard bop saxophone player. Like very influenced by Charlie Parker when you listen to his sound. But Sunny Side Up, I was listening to this album literally today. And I was literally thinking to myself, this album is like jazz. Like if I wanted to show someone what jazz is all about, I would listen to Sunny Side Up and show them Sunny Side Up because it has the blues in it. It has rhythm changes in it, which is another important jazz song form. It has bebop. It's like really everything to me that represents jazz if we were just trying to give someone an idea of what jazz actually is. Um Yes, this is like a this is like a really really important. I love this album so much. It has on the sunny side of the street on it. This is another like recording where every single solo that's played on that on the sunny side of the street album is like uber uber important. We actually studied this tune in our inner circle membership. Actually, it's actually the first tune we studied when we launched our inner circle membership was on the sunny side of the street. And these solos on here are super important to listen to. I, I actually. Um, learned a couple of them at one point on my instrument. So they're really good. There's, of course, on this album, the iconic saxophone battle between Sonny Rollins and Sonny Stitt on the album, the, uh, sorry, the, the, the track, um, The Eternal Triangle, which is essentially rhythm changes with a few twists and turns in it. But basically each, each player, like Sonny Rollins takes the first solo, super long solo, Sonny Rollins takes the next solo, super long solo. And did I mention that this tune is played at a blazing fast tempo? So they're obviously both just like killing it on it. And then Sonny Rollins and Sonny Stitt proceed to take to trade with each other, trade sections of the tune with each other. Um, is it just trading fours? I think it's more than fours. It's like uh I'd have to listen again to to see. I think they end up breaking it down to get shorter and shorter and shorter, but they trade for forever and it's like a true sax battle. Who wins is really up for the listener's interpretation. I've heard some people say Sonny Rollins beat Sonny Stitt big time. Other people say Sonny Stitt beat Sonny Rollins. Personally, I think Sonny Stitt won the battle if we're just talking about pure like technical proficiency. Um, but again, like <laughs> it's all up to the way you hear it. And then of course, Dizzy Gillespie takes a great solo after that. It's a great album. So Sunny Side Up, that's album number 10. Another um, album that is a great example of hard bop, this one actually is released in 1961, but it features Sunny Stitt again, but another important um, saxophone player from the hard bop realm, which is Gene Ammons, okay? And this one's called Boss Tenors. So it's 1961, Boss Tenors by Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt. One of those albums where I've listened to it on repeat so many times, I could probably sing to you most of the solos. Um, 
particularly like I'm thinking of there's no there's a there's no greater love like their rendition of there's no greater love is just absolutely iconic if you want to learn there is no greater love then listen to boss tenors with gene ammons and sunny stitt so that's jazz album number 11 all right jazz album number 12 is hank mobley's soul station this is another album i've listened to it so many times that uh it's like impossible to get it out of my head uh hank mobley is another important hard bop saxophone player soul station is arguably one of his most important albums like the tune remember on there that's the first uh track is super iconic um uh, this i dig of you is also on there really iconic recording of that tune like everybody knows that recording of that tune so hank mobley soul station you pretty much cannot get away with not listening to that song you have uh, sorry that album you have to listen to soul station really 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 important okay so we have to talk about Guitar players, because we haven't talked about a guitar player yet, other than we did a side mention of Freddie Green, which he plays a really like background role. But the guitar, obviously, during the bebop era with like Charlie Christian, we didn't mention Charlie Christian, but Charlie Christian was kind of like the guitar player who really started playing like a horn player. And obviously, we had the electrification of the guitar as well that aided with this. Um, and of course, we didn't mention Django Reinhardt either. And so obviously, these are bonus people to look up, um, Charlie Christian and Django Reinhardt. So both important guitar players. But the one I want to mention here is Wes Montgomery. And so jazz album number 13 is Boss Guitar by Wes Montgomery. There's a lot of great West Montgomery albums, but Boss Guitar is definitely one of those kind of iconic ones that's, you know, Im- important one to check out. And so West Montgomery, really, when we think of like the innovator of jazz guitar, West Montgomery is the guy that comes to mind. Truly, he's the guy that comes to mind. Again, we talked about Charlie Christian. He was important, of course. But West Montgomery is sort of like, um, this is probably a super unfair comparison, but he's like the Coltrane of guitar which of course we'll talk about coltrane in a sec a second right he just super he just sort of like put the guitar on the map and and so many jazz guitarists you know followed in his footsteps right so super important guy and and i I feel bad because there's so many like really important jazz guitarists to mention and this is a list of 25 albums i mean we could talk about barney kessel um kenny burrell um you know in fact (laughs) bonus album kenny burrell and john coltrane really great album uh, i love the the title track freight train that that's the that's a bonus album it's not one of the 25 but there are so many great jazz i mean joe pass right we, i mean it's it's difficult when we do lists like this because there's so many artists to listen to but again like this is just a list of like if you really want to understand jazz well and really study jazz on a deep level then we want to dig into this so boss guitar is a really great understanding of who West Montgomery was. And West Montgomery absolutely deserves to be put on a bit of a pedestal as far as jazz guitar and innovations um, in jazz guitar itself. Okay. So that's number 13, Boss Guitar. Number 14, uh, let's go to an important year in jazz, a really important year in jazz. That's 1959. Okay, 1959. This is um, a year in jazz where 
a series of incredibly important jazz albums came out. And so often jazz history, 1959 is talked about. So let's talk about the first one, which is called Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. Okay. Now, this is an example of another style post-bop called modal jazz. Modal meaning jazz that doesn't necessarily always stick to what's called diatonic harmony, meaning in the key center of some sort of key, like B flat or E flat, but oftentimes is sort of just playing chords that are not necessarily related to each other. Okay. This is modal harmony. And most of the album features modal harmony in it, even if it's like a blues, like on the title track, um, Freddie Freeloader. There's still kind of this modal way of playing. If you learn Miles Davis's solo on Freddie Freeloader, he really plays a modal approach to even playing the blues. But of course, the most iconic example of modal jazz is the track on this album called So What. Um, starts with the ba- the bass plays the melody, right? Everybody knows that. That's So What. So that's like the most basic example of what modal jazz is. And so this album um, is the epitome of of modal jazz and kind of Miles Davis's mark on this. Miles Davis, of course, being one of the most important jazz musicians um, for a multitude of reasons. He played in pretty much every jazz era, except for, let's just say he played in like from the bebop era on. He like, even before he died, he like played pop music. So he spanned all of them. And also he was a super important band leader. Um, he put together all these bands and in his bands were all these important jazz musicians like Herbie Hancock and Ron Carter and all these people that ended up doing their own stuff. So definitely, definitely important uh, figure in jazz. So kind of blue. Uh, and also, by the way, some people say that this album is like the most important jazz album of all time. You can be the judge of that. It was really had a huge impact. So that's 1959. Okay. The next album from 1959... Uh, so jazz album number 15 here is Time Out by Dave Brubeck. Dave Brubeck, sorry. <laughs> Time Out by Dave Brubeck. So Dave Brubeck, is his band is an example of another style of post-bop called Cool Jazz, as I mentioned before. And so Cool Jazz is a style of jazz that mostly was coming out of the West Coast of the United States. It was a lot more laid back, like characterized a little bit more laid back. Um, You could even say a little bit more classical influence in the music. So whereas it's East Coast uh, cousin, you could say hard bop is a little bit more bluesy, a little bit more quote unquote gritty, like West Coast, a little bit more laid back, a little more easygoing. Honestly, it kind of represents in the United States the way that the two coasts actually are in general. Um, And so... You have Time Out, um, which features probably one of the most popular songs ever. Um, you know, at least it's on it's it's on the list of one of those tunes that even jazz musicians don't know or don't know, but that aren't into jazz. And that would be Take Five, right? Which explores um, playing in a different time signature in five four. So Take Five was on that album. Blue Ronda a la Turk is on that album. Of course, other important cool jazz figures are on that album, like. Uh, Paul Desmond is on there. So really, that's an important one. So that's another 1959 album. Uh, Album number 16, 1959 album is Mingus Ahum. Mingus Ahum. So Charles Mingus, we talked about him already, that Charles Mingus 
was in that Live at Massey Hall, Jazz at Massey Hall album with Charlie Parker. But Charles Mingus kind of became, he's a bass player, became his own sort of band leader and, you know, his own sort of style, like a great composer in and of himself. And so Mingus Ahum is one of those albums that um, really defines Charles Mingus, right? And for example, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat is on that one, really like classic Mingus composition. So Mingus Aum is a really important one there, 1959. All right, album number 17 is another style of post-bop, which is free jazz, and that's The Shape of Jazz to Come by Ornette Coleman. Okay, The Shape of Jazz to Come, another 1959 album. And it is an example of free jazz. And so Ornette Coleman can kind of be thought of as like an innovator, one of the big innovators of what's called free jazz. So what is free jazz? Free jazz is like this idea of playing not necessarily needing to be in time or not necessarily needing to follow a given set of chord changes, right? Um, So in the case of The Shape of Jazz to Come, it wasn't necessarily avant-garde playing, avant-garde being like stuff that is really more ethereal and textural. Um, Some might say like to an untrained ear that it just sounds random, right? There was still like playing in time going on in the shape of jazz to come. There is definitely themes and that's very common in, in free jazz is there's like a theme everybody plays, but then everybody kind of improvises around each other. There's definitely taking turns of playing solos like that's still happening, but they're not always an, playing under a given set of chord changes. They're playing freely within the context of a theme and a time, but not necessarily chord progressions like two five ones. Although there is still some of that, like for example, there is a jazz ballad that's really popular called Peace off of that album. And so that's kind of like a mixture of like modal um, and diatonic harmony. It's not necessarily free playing, but um, Lonely Woman is is the first al- uh, track on that album, really iconic, um, enchanting tune. So if you want to understand free jazz, where that all got started, Ornette Coleman, saxophone player, by the way, he played a plastic saxophone, which is kind of a funny thing. Um, But it gave him this very specific sound that I think is really cool um, that a lot of people love to listen to. So the shape of jazz to come. All right, jazz album number 18. We have to talk about John Coltrane some more because John Coltrane again, when we think about like the big innovators of jazz, first we had Louis Armstrong. Then we had Charlie Parker, and many people would consider John Coltrane to be that next big innovator in jazz, where he's been so influential that like, if you were to go here in New York City down to any jam session that's raging on till four o'clock in the morning, you're going to hear a slew of saxophone players that sound like John Coltrane, but also like his compositions really changed the music a lot, like started getting people to think about composing jazz in a different way. So the jazz album number 18 is Giant Steps by John Coltrane. This was a landmark album. It essentially featured on his tune, Giant Steps, and others on that album, his harmonic construction, which we've now dubbed as called, quote-unquote, Coltrane Changes, which was the cycling in thirds kind of approach to playing jazz. And 
Giant Steps is a pretty complicated tune. Some people call it like the most difficult jazz standard to play. Um, you could argue that really any tune that features as Coltrane changes can be pretty difficult. I would say like Countdown is even harder, right? Um, so Giant Steps is a really important album just to understand the innovation of John Coltrane and what he did with the music and this benchmark he set almost for like a new level of virtuosity in the music. It's like Charlie Parker, like, wow, I can't believe someone is playing like this. And then you had the Sonny Stitz that came to follow and a bunch of those hard bop guys and cool jazz guys I just mentioned who like basically Charlie Parker was their God, right? And they're like copying him. Well, now you got John Coltrane who's taking it all to the next level. And so now you're going to have a bunch of people copying John Coltrane and uh, really going for it. Okay. So that's, that's uh giant steps, John Coltrane, number 18. Okay. Number 19, another one from John Coltrane, a love Supreme. Okay. And this is from 1965. John Coltrane considers this his spiritual masterpiece. Um, and this is truly a thematic album. Um, meditative for sure. There's, you know, stories of him just locking himself up for long period, like months at a time working on this album right in his house. So love Supreme, uh, is just one of those like jazz albums that like everyone needs to experience once. If you're serious about jazz, not necessarily because, Oh, we need to learn the solos off of a love Supreme, right? That'd be difficult to do. Honestly, there's a lot of sheets of sound going on, which by the way, sheets of sound is another ism of John Coltrane. Um, the way he was playing just tons of notes all at the same time without it almost, it's almost like would sound like it's random notes, but it's not, it's just, it's just called sheets of sound. Anyways, love Supreme. It's one of those albums where you just want to listen to it because it really truly is a masterpiece of music. And so you have to listen to a love Supreme 1965. All right. Album number 20 is the blues and the abstract truth by Oliver Nelson, the blues in the abstract truth. This is a 1961 album. It's another quintessential hard bop album, uh, post bop album. It first of all, there's a lot of great musicians in here that are important in their own right. Freddie Hubbard on the trumpet, Eric Dolphy on the saxophone and the flute. Bill Evans is on piano. Uh, Paul Chambers is on bass. Roy Haynes is on drums. Okay, so these are all important people here. Um, and there, the way I can describe this album the best is like there's they're just it's just very unique. Like the arrangements are unique. The way the musicians play, their improvisations are unique. There's, of course, the really popular jazz standard on their Stolen Moments. That's from this album. So Stolen Moments is a really important one to know. Um, just a really cool, cool, cool album. So definitely check uh, that one out. All right, let's move on. So we're going to go on to another era of jazz which I guess can be best called as the fusion era. So fusion, let's just say this goes from like 1960s to like the, you know, end of the 70s or the beginning of the 80s. And so fusion is like where we really start getting the advent of like electronic instruments coming into play, um, the advent of rock coming into the picture. And so all of this kind of coming together, right? Um, 
kind of starts to bring about this style of music that we would like to call fusion. So album number 21 is Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. Bitches Brew, 1970. Um, lots of electronic, electronic instruments, lots of improvisations, lots of experimentations in the studio, has kind of very thematic, ethereal sounds. Um, and so Miles Davis had his own impact here on the fusion era. So that's number 21 is Bitches Brew. Number 22 is Herbie Hancock's Headhunters. Okay, Headhunters, 1973. Um, so Herbie Hancock, right, he came out of Miles Davis's bands and he he started becoming his own thing, right? His own leader of his own bands. And so this was a defining moment for like jazz funk fusion. So there's like the the track a chameleon on this one, for example. So Headhunters, Herbie Hancock, a really good one if if you just kind of want to understand like, hey, Herbie Hancock, how did he start going off on his own and doing his own thing? Headhunters is an important one to listen to for sure. All right, jazz album number 23 is another important fusion era band, and that would be Weather Report. So Weather Report um, is one of those bands that really defines, again, jazz fusion. Their album Heavy Weather is is album number 23. So that's 1977 is when this one came out with. Wayne Shorter was in Weather Report. Um, Jaco Pistorius was in in Weather Report. A lot of important musicians um, played in Weather Report. And so it's a really... I guess, important band just to be aware of for the fusion era and to check out. And there's a lot of musicians that play within those bands that obviously went on to do their, their own thing in their own rights. Okay. So that's number 23 weather report. Okay. Let's move on to album number 24, which is, I guess, still in the fusion era or could be qualified as fusion. I like to start thinking of this more as modern jazz, which I kind of think of modern jazz as, you know, stuff from the 80s until now, but really like the most defining period of modern jazz for me is like the 90s on. But 80s, I think, still is within this realm. And, and this one is, again, I would still call this fusion because it's in 1976 is when this one was done. But this is by jazz guitarist Pat Metheny and it's called Bright Size Life. And so especially as far as modern jazz guitar goes, this is like one of the most important albums that people talk about. Pat Metheny, Bright Size Life. Um, his title track, Bright Size Life, is super iconic. You'll even find this one in real books, right? So in other words, people will consider this a jazz standard, right? Um, so Pat Metheny was a huge influential modern jazz guitarist who, who not only, of course, influenced many other um, jazz guitarists after him, but also many other jazz musicians after him. So Bright Size Life is 1976, that jazz album number 24. Okay, finally, we're at jazz album number 25. And this is covering what's called the modern jazz era I just mentioned. And again, I consider this really anything from the 80s on, but especially the 90s on. And I am just going to name one album here, but I'm going to give a ton of honorable mentions of different musicians because there are a lot of different off branches of styles in modern jazz where 
we don't really have it all pinned down really like historically speaking at this point in time to be like, you know, how we had cool jazz and post bop and, you know, or rather hard bop and like that kind of differentiation after the bebop period. I don't know that we really have that now. So let me just name one album to top us off at 25 and then I'll give some honorable mentions. So number 25 is Kurt Rosenwinkel's Deep Song. Now, this is more of a opinion uh, about the album being important because there's actually a lot of important Kurt Rosenwinkel albums. The statement is mostly about the artist himself, Kurt Rosenwinkel. He's a jazz guitarist. And to me, he's another one of those sort of innovators in jazz, right? That's come about. I'm not going to necessarily say whether or not he's as innovative as like, of course, the, 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 um, the Louis Armstrongs, the Charlie Parkers, the John Coltrane's, I'm not necessarily putting him next in that line, but time will tell. But he is definitely a really innovative musician, compositionally, his ability on the instrument, his incredibly like unique personal sound to him. And of course, his influence on so many other jazz musicians, especially young jazz musicians who are just interested in playing with Kurt Rosenwinkel or sounding like Kurt Rosenwinkel. So Deep Song is really just an album that I really like of his that I think um, epitomizes his sound and his innovations. So that's album number 25, Kurt Rosenwinkel. I Really, when I think of modern jazz, I mostly think of Kurt Rosenwinkel personally. Now, that could be because I'm a guitar player, but I don't think that a lot of other people would argue with the fact that Kurt Rosenwinkel is one of the most innovative modern jazz musicians um, that has come about and is, of course, still alive. All right. Now, we I said we do some honorable mentions. A lot of other great import, like Michael Brecker. We have to mention Michael Brecker, right? We have to mention John Patitucci, bass player. We have to mention Brad Meldow. Um, we have to mention some of the more modern jazz players that are more uh, in the straight ahead style, right? Like Benny, Benny Green. Um, we have to mention... Um, Peter Bernstein, guitar player. We have to mention uh, Chris Potter on saxophone, right? Uh, we have to mention Robert Glasper on piano. Like he's really kind of gone off into the hip hop direction, right? Like jazz and hip hop and how those kind of move together. So there's a lot of other great modern jazz musicians to listen to. These are just some that are worth talking about. I, I can't leave out Roy Hargrove, or obviously the late Roy Hargrove, trumpet player. Like he's another one of those jazz musicians, modern jazz musicians that had a has had a huge impact. Um, of course, we have to talk about Wynton Marsalis too. Like Wynton Marsalis is another important trumpet player while I'm thinking about trumpet players. So all of those are important. Bob Brookmeyer, right? Got to talk about Bob Brookmeyer. We're still talking about like the innovations of, of big band and, and arranging and all of that sort of stuff. Like that still exists today, right? So Bob Brookmeyer would definitely be in, in that ballpark. So, so many great uh, modern jazz musicians to listen to. So I hope that this episode was helpful for you just to kind of go and at least pick a couple of these albums that I mentioned today and go off and 
listen to some of these, right? Because I mean, just even within the 25 I mentioned and the couple bonus ones I threw in there as well, like this could keep you busy for years, 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 right? And there's so much to learn even in just one album, if not just one song from one of these albums. So my challenge for you this week would be to pick out one or two of these albums and start listening to it, one that you weren't familiar with before and really start diving deep because there's so much to be learned. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, listening to jazz music is practicing. It is the same as practicing your instrument. It has similar benefits to doing so. And certainly, if you aren't listening to jazz, or at least not listening to it very often, you're missing out on a huge, huge important part of becoming a good jazz musician. All right, my friends, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Do appreciate it. If you need help on your jazz journey, and want to shorten your learning curve, want to improve faster, want to have a lot of fun doing it, and want to keep things simple, then go check out our Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle membership. That's where we learn one new jazz standard every single month. Like I said, we keep things simple. We help you accomplish. We help you feel like you're winning every single time. We give you everything you need to learn that one jazz standard, but we also have courses on really anything that you need for jazz and jazz improvisation to really succeed. And so we take care of you over there. And of course, the community that we have is super, super fun. Lots of different jazz musicians playing all sorts of instruments, learning together, helping each other. Uh, good place to learn. So learn jazz standards inner circle, go to ljsinnercircle.com or check out the link in the show notes. All right, we're going to come another great episode of the podcast next week. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you back then. Cheers. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.